Hi, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number two. I'm Dave. And I'm Ashley. And we're coming to you from Austin, Texas. This is the movie review podcast. We're a couple getting to know each other better by locating, finding each other's uh, pop culture and media blind spots and assigning homework for viewing and then getting together afterwards to break it all down. Yes. So today you chose, or well, not today, but we watched Down by Law, and this was chosen by Dave. It's a 1986 Jim Jarmusch movie. Um, So tell us a little bit about why you chose this movie, Dave. Okay. So I saw this movie in 1986. Um, I would have been a a 15-year-old kid. Wow. Um, I was already super into um, unusual and offbeat movies. I was living in San Francisco. I lived really close to um, uh, the rep theaters and stuff like that. I went all the time. And I think I'd already seen Jarmusch's um, 1984 movie, Stranger Than Paradise. And um, so I chose this movie because this, for me, was the film director that I wanted to be when I was a teenager. This was... There's nothing quite like this anymore. This was independent American film in the early days. You had, you know, black and white, 35 millimeter camera, a few actors in a room, what happens, you know. um, And it also had that kind of hipster hobo sensibility, Mm -hmm. the music of Tom Waits. um, But more than anything, that this... I went off to film school thinking, I want to make movies like this. I want to be this kind of writer, director, poet sort of thing. It just spoke to me, and I'd never seen anything like it before. Okay. And why did you choose it for me specifically? Why did I choose it for you specifically? Because I think that that you appreciate movies with, we like to say, white space. Yes, yes. You like movies about characters, uh, awkward silences. You like, (laughs) I knew, I hoped you would respond to Robbie Mueller's uh, black and white cinematography. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Um, we had the experience recently of seeing, I mean, we've seen some things in the past year, like, um, Columbus Mm. that, you know, had so, had so (laughs) much to do with characters in these spaces of the mid century modern architecture in Columbus, Indiana. Um, so I knew that we had that kind of, I think, visual f- photography aesthetic in common, too. Um, but it's part of my DNA. It just yeah. was like this was where the dawn of Dave and his love for movies come from. Not specifically this film, but it kind of nails that yeah. period for me. Okay, so um, let, let's talk. Let's start with photography, because that is um year of... of uh, no, maybe it was actually my first year of college. I worked at a camera store. So um, I had a Canon AE1, and I went around taking very contrasty pictures of um, architecture and plants and sticks. And um, there's not a lot of architecture in Lubbock, so we did as best we could. But I really responded to the photography in in this. I liked the opening scene where um, there's a, a long... It looks like it's taken from a car or something like that. A long shot of driving. I love that. Yeah. I wrote down. <laughs> um, I wrote down like a few of my favorite moments uh, yeah. of, of the movie. Um, yeah. I'm totally with you there. Yeah, it's a tracking shot, uh, a black and white shot of a car just driving th- through sort of dilapidated streets in New Orleans. Um, I totally with... totally love all that stuff, <laughs> like the look of all the old buildings and 
Um, people what, shambling by yeah. outside. Well, the, what was I thought was interesting is there aren't a whole lot of people, so I don't know when they filmed this, but New Orleans is usually there's like people everywhere. So I mean, that's I guess, actually a quality of the yeah. movie, and I think a choice yeah. that yeah. there are hard, there's hardly anybody in this film. They but, must have gotten up at like five in the morning, or like just as soon as the sun came up, in order to get some of these shots because it like a lot of the places are completely abandoned. But for me, it wasn't just that shot of the moving camera yeah. and going down the street, and it's black and white you get yeah. uh and you get it's like beautiful. um s- slices of the sky yeah. uh, above the the backgrounds of these uh, new orleans houses um but it's the music and it's yeah. the music and that shot it's got uh, a tom waits track tom waits is in the film um so it does have a lot of his music well he was the DJ, right? He's the DJ. He's the DJ, yes. We did not give a synopsis of uh, the that film. We should do that is, now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we're still finding our feet here. But uh, it, what's actually remarkable is that this movie is so not about the plot that you can summarize it yep. in like a line or two. And essentially it's about um, three three dudes, three guys sort of on the margins of society in New Orleans who end up in a prison cell together. One of them, uh, Tom Waits, plays um, sort of a, a ne'er-do-well kind of um, drifter DJ. Um, he gets thrown out uh, of, of his uh, apartment from by his girlfriend in the beginning. He seems to have just lost another job. He probably goes from town to town. We, we gather well, yeah. that... He, he's always on the verge of poverty, yeah. <laughs> always in between jobs, drinking a little too much. He gets thrown out on the streets with his record collection and his favorite pair of shoes, yeah. right? And then you have John Lurie, um, the musician and film actor. He was in um, the band The Lounge Lizards, which he founded with his brother. Um, and I he's a frequent he the, collaborator of. He did the um, music for this film too. He did the the inst- the incidental uh, the soundtrack music, yeah. other than the couple of Tom Waits songs. Um, he was also in uh, the, had that show for a while on uh, back in the day, fishing with John, which was okay. put him in a fishing boat with uh, you know uh, Tom Waits or that kind of thing. Anyway, he plays um, he plays a pimp, mm-hmm. right? Kind of yes. a hipster pimp sort of right okay um these two guys end up in a prison cell together and they are joined by Roberto Benigni of Life is Beautiful the uh you know Italian comic actor with the insane crazy um loud accent and broken English comically broken English he's like an Italian Groucho Marx in my view something like that he has something of that in him he does, yeah. So the physical and and jokes with language and stuff like that that Groucho Marx did. Anyway. These three guys end up in a cell <laughs> together, and uh, really, that's the plot of the movie. Yeah. What happens when you put these three guys together? And then, the, and then the, there's an escape. And then there's an escape. But we don't get to see the... You don't see the, the escape. ...details of the escape Famously, you don't get to see the escape. <laughs> you cut from... I know there's a way to get out of here to them running yeah. through underneath through the sewers a few <laughs> minutes later. Uh, so what did you make of this movie? Um, so, you know, we start with the beautiful black and white photography shots in the beginning of the city. And then, you know, after the escape, you know, we spend actually the middle third of the movie is in a prison cell. So there's not a whole lot to see. It's just these three men bouncing off each other in a prison cell. But when they escape, they have... I, I, I don't know. I sensed a lot of parallelism in this movie. And one of the things I saw as far as the photography goes is they have those long tracking shots of um, the city, New Orleans. And then later they're in the swamps of 
of uh, Louisiana and you get the beautiful sort of architectural swamps with the cypresses and the sticks and it's winter time, I think. So, you know, everything's bare and you just see the tree trunks and um, I really like that kind of thing. So <laughs> um, as far as, so we try not to talk about the movie after <laughs> we see it because yeah. um, we have to save, we have it, for to save it for the podcast. But one of the things that I was thinking about, because I've seen several Jim Jarmusch movies. Um, most recently we saw Patterson, uh, which came out last year, I guess. Um, and I was thinking about the difference between Columbus, as you mentioned earlier, and Patterson and uh, down by law. And that Jim Jarmusch doesn't like spend a lot of time, like introducing you to the motives of the characters or anything like that. You know, we just kind of see these guys as they are and there's no like backstory really. There's a little bit, but not much. You know, we know what they did before they go to prison. Everything you need to know, you get from the state of yeah. their life right now yeah. and the, the, who they are in the present tense, you can fill in the blanks and you, you don't need to know yeah. the details of how they got there. You kind of get, Get it. Yeah. It gives you people who are completely face value living in the present tense. Yeah. I I think it's interesting because he also, you know, as compared to Columbus, which is a movie where the characters spend a lot of time analyzing how they feel about things and how they feel about their life. And this I, is not a movie. No, about I don't think any people <laughs> talking about how they feel. No, no, nobody. It's what, all. <laughs> what is this a movie about? That's what I want to get back to because it's not about that plot. The plot sounds like a joke. Three three guys, a pimp, a DJ, and uh, an Italian uh, end up in a prison cell together. So I've been thinking about that. I mean, like when I look at some of the things that happen, is I think that again, I think it's parallelism. We have two guys. One's a pimp. One's a DJ. But they're pretty much the same. Like they're they're the same kind of guy. They're not very emotionally involved in things. They're. Um, they both get framed for something that they didn't do. Um, Doesn't everybody in yeah. prison? Isn't that the story <laughs> they, they of everyone in prison? Did, they didn't do I'm it. Innocent. And, um, you know, they, they have some time where they're living in prison together before Roberto Bonini arrives in prison as well, who, by the way, he did, did do something. Did you count the markings <laughs> on the wall? Did you understand how much time had gone by? Yeah, I was... They were in there for, I think Tom Waits, the first one to be mm. in, in prison, is there... Almost two months before before John Lurie shows up. Yeah, there and then they're in there together. I think up to I count. I stopped counting the markings yeah. on the wall. You know the etched lines in the wall at about six months or something. Yeah. Once they were all in there, they were in there for a long yeah. time. The better part of a year. Yeah, I think so. Well, and you know they're they talk to each other, but they don't really talk to each other not really until um roberto bonini shows up and he's kind of the glue that brings them all together you know i um, love that you said that yeah. because i got the same <laughs> thing out of them so first of all they are literally the, these three men in the same tiny cell together yeah. two bu- two bunk beds there's mm. three of them in the cell there's not room to just there's room to like pass through in the mm. middle if one of them is kind enough to like you know move out of the way enough for somebody <laughs> to brush past him there is nothing to do but lie there on the cot and or stand up at the cells like looking out at, mm. at probably the same four feet of space well i was interested because i you know i don't know a lot about what it's like to be in prison i mean we toured uh alcatraz oh come on we're... you can be honest with... 
I don't know. So what I was interested in is like, and I guess it was the director's choice, but like, I, I kept thinking, well, are they going to let him out in the yard? Are they going to, are we going to have a scene somewhere else? But no, we were in that like claustrophobic in that cell for the middle, like we're four, just as captive as they yeah. are. Yeah. They don't go anywhere. And like at the end, they do make it clear that they do go out in the yard. But for a while I was concerned that like in Louisiana in the eighties or whenever this is set, um, they don't let people out of prison, out of their cells ever or something like that. So, so here's the funny thing. Um, it's really not going that well between Tom no. Waits and John Lurie, the pimp and the DJ, no. until Roberto Benigni is put no. into the cell with them. What is that? They can't talk about anything. They just no. kind of get on each other's nerves. Yeah. Um, they're not emotive. They're not expressive. They don't they don't they're they ha- don't have any ability to take any responsibility for why they're there yeah i don't think so there's not a whole <laughs> lot of there's not a whole lot of soul searching yeah there's not a whole lot of regret i think their only regret is that they got caught or framed or whatever yeah. and now you know life sucks and uh, I, we, this is what our life is now yeah um and then benini comes in and can you help describe him i mean he is um, he is loud. He's, he's loud. <laughs> he speaks in loud, loud, broken English. Just the broken English itself yeah. is kind of an icebreaker because he completely cracks them yeah. up all the time, right? And he writes, down. "Tell me, do you love a Walter Whitman?" <laughs> right? Well, he and he, I like that he carries around a notebook and writes down like English cliches. I but mean, that seems they're to always be, a little out of context. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but like he seems only interested in writing down the cliches or the um, the um, idioms. Idioms, yeah. yeah. Um, he d- he doesn't write down anything else. It's kind of interesting. So he's, and then he you know pulls them out. If and looks says, could so kill, I would be dead. <laughs> All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he kind of um, breaks them out of their shell. He, you know, they start. I don't know, talking to each other more, but talking to him more relating to him. They play poker together. I find him to be like a focal point for the two of them. Yeah. They don't have to focus on each other anymore. They get to focus on Bob. His name is Bob. Um, And he, yeah, he has them playing cards. Yeah. Right. He, they somehow, this is one of my favorite moments too, (laughs) sort of inadvertently start a a prison riot by walking around the room saying, I scream, (laughs) you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Yes. Which I guess it was another cliche that he pulled out of his book. (laughs) exactly um you know i was a little skeptical of him at first but he really won me over you know i was gonna ask if roberto benigni works for you or if he's too much for the for this frame it's a very different feel to him than when the other actors are on screen i don't think we could watch tom waits and john lurie not talking to each other for an hour and a half yeah but you put this guy in here and he is the glue he's the fuse he's the connector between them and i like to also think of him almost as i think of him as like the emotion that nobody else is expressing he's kind of passionate and loud and silly um right yeah yeah he is he expresses things that nobody else says and then here's another one for you. I secretly suspect or think that he's kind of the brains. Yeah, yeah, because he's the he's, one who he he figured up, out how to how to he's escape. The, you he, know. he has the escape plan. He has the survival plan when they're out and about. He's the one who catches a rabbit for mm-hmm. their dinner and cooks it up for them when when they're about all ready to just like leave each other in the in the wood in yeah, the swamp I don't, and go well, off on their own. I don't think own. they would have made it without him. I mean, like. 
really he's you know that's the other thing it's like when they have escaped i I don't want to jump ahead too much but when they have escaped um if he hadn't kept them together and then made that relationship that made it possible for them to get a change of clothes and actually get out into the world without being covered in prison clothing um that wouldn't happen they would have been caught and sent back to prison i believe you know um you know <laughs> how does this how do the rhythms of this movie and its sense of pacing work for you like how did you do with those scenes of dead air between the two of them or the three of them like this it's a movie where you just have you have the space you make the space yeah. for them to just sit there in a room with each other getting on each other's nerves yeah. in small ways and sometimes it'll add up to a non sequitur or something yeah. at the end of the scene. You know, both of the both of the actors, um, especially Tom Waits, I think, have I mean, like in their bodies, this sort of coiled energy. I mean, it's a very masculine film. There are three women, I think, in the in the film. There's uh, the prostitute uh, that John Lurie's with in in the beginning, and then the girlfriend that Tom Waits has. And at the end, we have uh, Robert Benini's. Um, he finds an Italian woman in the woods. Um, <laughs> uh, but as one does, uh, as one does. Um, but uh, the, it's it's very masculine. But I think just the tension of their bodies and and the way they talk to each other. I think at one point it was when they first are in the same cell together, John Lurie and Tom Waits, um, that it was a lot of attitude for one room, you know, and it's not just spoken attitude. It's like their whole being is like Mm -hmm. infused with this sort of angry Mm -hmm. manic male energy, you know, this is so the, so the casting works for you. (laughs) Yeah. I think you have, you have Jarmusch casting to, I mean, they had both acted in other roles, but they're not primarily actors. John Lurie and Tom Waits. John Lurie, saxophonist, jazz musician. um, But he was one of the stars of the previous Jarmusch movie. Mm. I'm going to keep saying his name wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Stranger Than Paradise. Yeah, which I I think I've seen, but I might need to remind myself because it's been a long time since I've seen it. So, Um, yeah, I I liked it. Um, I liked the pacing of it. Um, I liked how, you know, you start out in a city and then we like, like if it's like putting a corset on the movie, being stuck in a, (laughs) in a cell for 45 minutes and then it opens back up at the end and then it really opens back up because then at the end you have them going their separate ways, you know? Um, but I mean, like, I guess I wanted to talk about, about that, how, you know, Robert Benini throughout the movie continues to be the sort of emotional thing. I also think it's ironic that he's the only one who actually committed a crime per se, you know, it's true. <laughs> he killed someone. He killed, he, someone. he killed someone. Um, that's one of my favorite yeah. scenes when there are the three of them standing in the cell yeah. together with Benini in the middle talking about, yeah. you know, how did you get here? Yeah. How did you get here? Of course, John Lurie's like, I was framed. I didn't do it. Yeah. Tom Waits is like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do it either. Yeah. And then what did you do? I killed a man. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he killed someone in defense, self-defense. He was a card cheat. He was cheating at cards and they caught him. And the people... But he's very good at cheating he, at yeah, cards, he's very he good. <laughs> so they caught him cheating at cards and um, they started throwing pool balls at him, I think is what happened. And so, so he, he threw, threw one, one back. back and hit the, hit, the, hit the guy on the head. One shot. Yeah. And he was dead. Dead. Yeah. 
Um, Which is kind of a silly story, yeah, too. Yeah, you think that... Um, I, it makes me ask questions about the justice system at that time frame and whether they got lawyers. This is all happening off screen, so it doesn't matter. But None of the details matter. <laughs> no. But I mean, this is a weird... I mean, this is a weird world yeah. that they live in. Yeah. I mean, is there some kind of like... Beckett kind of existential yeah. sort of like we are prisoners of I, I don't know do you know what I mean well yeah and do I do they have responsibility or do they have any agency over their actions in the world of this movie because you know they are two of them are framed I mean they're they're tempted yeah I mean they have responsibility in how they ended up there but they literally were framed yeah um, and then you have somebody else who, in an absurd <laughs> moment, accidentally kills someone yeah. at, in a you know weird way yeah. They're just stuck in this. They're stuck in this cell of a world. Yeah, in the, this weird exactly. black and white <laughs> desolate cell of a world. Uh, I forgot where my train of thought was taking me on that one. Oh, that's that's the question I was thinking about. Um, so, what time period are we in here? I mean, I don't think it's 1986. I think I it's 1986. Okay, but it's it it doesn't feel. I mean, it feels like it could be anywhere from like the 20s to the you know. To the '60s, really, you know. I I'm reading mid '80s from the from the opening tracking shots and from the I don't know the yeah are, do nothing really. I mean, like, it feels what, like it could be like a '30s prison kind but of it's movie. Not. I mean, it's you know? not a '30s prison. I know, movie. but if I mean, other than you know a few details like the car, but the way these guys dress, well, that's because they, they're hipsters in New Orleans, yeah, right? I guess the way so. they dress, the, you've got the <laughs> pork pie hat on Tom Tom Waits and the the crazy, yeah, which could be read as a period piece, you know, too. <laughs> I don't think it's intended <laughs> okay, I don't, to be, but but, I, but but what you're saying about it kind of being timeless. And yeah, all that, it is it timeless sense. to me. It it just has that. That sort of um yeah feel of like a gangster prison kind of movie from from yeah like anywhere from the 30s to the 40s or something but the like difference that is that this is the movie so if if a normal gangster movie has all the the prison escape yeah. and the prison riot yeah. and all this these are the outtakes from yeah. the other prison movies yeah. this is the dead space <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know. No, it was it was good. It was just interesting. It was something that I was thinking about. Um, let's. I, I like what you said before about. I mean, I was wondering if it was problematic for you in the fact that it is such a male movie. There, I mean, the female character. There, there are, are prostitutes yeah. or the mysterious, magically appearing um, Italian woman at the end. Yeah, who gives them a place for shelter. <laughs> changes well, Bob's life, I mean, you know. Are they going to be together? I think it was a. It's it's representative of. I mean, you know, one view of of how males see females, you know, especially in in film. Maybe you know, there's the the girlfriend who you know oscillates between being very understanding and loving of the this DJ guy who can't keep a job and you know drinks, and then she. Played by Ellen Barkin, yeah, by the way. She's, she's Amazing great. cameo. <laughs> but, you know, she's one minute she's screaming and throwing things out the window, and then the next minute she's being very um, caring. We can work this out together. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, here's how you could fix the things that are wrong yeah. right now. Let's settle down and work on this together. So, yeah, she's, she's the, you know, crazy slash hard done by woman that's in a lot of things. And then the, the prostitute we have who is this all-knowing, wise, you know, uh, common sense kind of thing, like trying to, um, 
you know, help him like figure out things in the world and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I, neither of these men are able to make connections with women or with anyone really, um, until Roberto Benini shows up, you know, um, so I think it's interesting that they like they start out the movie with women in their around them, mm-hmm. but at the end of the movie, the only one who who finds someone that they can connect to is Roberto Benini because he's really the only one. The who one can who has emotion yeah. and who can express himself. And, <laughs> yeah. And now, are how are you worried about the other two on the way as they they head off together, insistent that they're going to just head in opposite directions yeah. across the country? There's a fork in the road. One of them will go east. One of them go west. They don't even care anymore which yeah. one is going where. How are they going to make it? It's like they became a unit. Yeah. Did they may have even developed some kind of a friendship? I don't yeah. think you could call it any sort of friendship no. until Roberto Benini. But by the time they get to that shack at the end, I would say it feels like they have established some kind of a friendship. Yeah, they have that scene where they're watching him dance with Robert Benini and laughing at the breakfast table and they've eaten and they've changed clothes and, you know, they make fun of the clothing that they chose and and that sort of thing. And then they head off and, and you know, pretty much as soon as they can, they kind of head off in different directions, although they always said they were going to do that. But where will they go? Where I, will they end up? I don't know. They're I think they're 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 the same person, essentially, you know, so I, I don't know if is there. Room That's for interesting it? that they literally they are, are of a type. Yeah, they're they're, they're <laughs> um, lone wolves. They're mm, exactly. drifters. That yeah. doesn't. This was one little. I don't know that this changed them. It was one little blip on, you know, from here to there. I really don't know. Yeah. But I mean, a part of me wants to believe that one of them doubles <laughs> back to find the other one yeah. and they go off and have another, uh, you know, well, hit they, the motel at the end of the road and end up <laughs> on another. Well, they, they had a couple of things where they 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 would fight, like physically fight, and then go their separate ways, and then they always came back around R- the Roberto Bonini character. What is his name? Bob. Bob. They Roberto. always came back around Bob, but like when he's gone, I don't think that there's anything to draw them back together. Speaking you know? of um, them, the the two being the same, their names are Jack and Zach. That's right. That's and even right. Bob can't, he's <laughs> constantly getting wrong which one yeah. is which. So I think that's there for a reason too. Yes, I think that that's um, true. I want to just mention briefly the music of the movie. That was another thing that I really connected to back in 1986. I think it was kind of my discovery of Tom Waits Mm -hmm. and I have really like just loved Tom Waits since, (laughs) since the mid eighties, you know, a lot of the, the, particularly this, this movie has the song jockey full of bourbon. Um, that's the opening one with the tracking shot in new Orleans and the end credits has, um, tango tell your, tell your sore. Mm. Um, and so it's just, it became my favorite album of Tom Waits rain dogs. It's, I still have it. It's the first record I bought when we got a turntable, I found a copy. Um, how does the music work for you? Well, I, you know, I only, I was familiar, I knew Tom Waits, but I didn't know Tom Waits. I'd never sat down and listened to an album. And I think until you put on the Tom Waits when I was over one time, um, early in our relationship. So, or maybe even before, I don't know. Um, but I I like Tom Waits a lot. Um, but it always felt like uh, musically one of my blind spots is that, um, I just didn't know much about him at all. You know, I had friends in college who were very into him, but you know, it's, it's not usually something you just play when you're driving 
around no, college. It's not really driving you know? around college music. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, I really liked it. Um, so closing thoughts. Yes. Oh, I didn't get much of a chance to talk about that. Um, but to me, there's like, so, starting with the music, since we were talking about the music a little bit, Tom Weiss has this sort of syncopated thing that he does mm-hmm. in a lot of his music. And I feel like the that that initial song in the beginning sort of sets the tone for the whole movie in mm-hmm. the way that the dialogue comes and the way that the events happen. It, it It's just a little off of regular what you would think. Um, so the beat is a little bit late or something like that. It's yeah. just the whole thing's a little bit longer. But I like that kind of, you know, like when you're waiting for something to happen and then you have to wait a little bit longer than you would expect. Uh-huh. It's interesting. Anticipating so. something that doesn't quite happen in the way yeah, you want yeah. it to. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were waiting for them to find the the escape or some some way for them to get out of prison, you know, as the the... Um, mm-hmm. lines on the wall increase you're like well how are we going to get out of this and then there's the answer and then all of a sudden like quickly you don't the answer is that they're going to escape but then you don't know how they escape right. they just escaped um so i like that kind of um interesting unexpected thing uh, yeah i really liked it i'm glad you showed it to me well i am happy to report i haven't seen <laughs> this movie in a good 10 or 15 years and I was, I'm always curious as we, as we make these picks for this show, like how the one choosing, how the movie holds up for the person who chose this as something important to them. And for me, it totally held up. And I don't think it's just through the lens of nostalgia. Um, I truly think Jim Jarmusch is one of our master film directors in America. Um, you've probably seen other films of his over the years. I know you have. I've seen not a whole but- lot, not... I mean, I like I said, I think I've seen Strangers in Paradise like a long time ago, but I really literally only remember the scene in a cafe and some palm trees. So that's like, I need to go back. But I love going back to this. <laughs> yeah. I love going back to this. It was everything that I wanted it to be. Yeah. I'm glad that you got some, well, that it intrigued you. And I'm really excited about showing you some of the other ones over time, which we probably won't do for the show. Yeah. But Mystery Train and is the, his next film that he did yeah. after this, where he went to color. Um, it has a lot of the same feel, but it's an anthology film of three connected stories. And then going on through through the rest of his career, well, I think saw... you can see the germs yeah. of it here. <laughs> yeah, we, um, you know, comparing it to his latest one, Patterson, which we saw last year, which is one of those movies that as we're watching it, I was like, did they make this movie for us to watch? Because there certain films I just feel that way about and I just loved Patterson. And even if you trace the trajectory yeah. now across yeah. 30, 40 years, right, from from these early 80s Jim Jarmusch mm-hmm. movies to Patterson, you still end up in a place where he has the patience and is one of the only people there to show characters quietly sitting, yeah. writing, being with each other. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't know why they are. Like, again, yeah. they, you don't know why they are why they are. They're just, this is... This is how they are. You know, mm-hmm. his wife just likes black and white. You don't ever. Yeah. There's no explanation. It's just she does everything in black and white, you know. So anyway. So um, I think that's it for this show. That's about as much time as we have. Um, if you want to catch up with Down by Law, it's available on some of the streaming services. I think uh, if you're uh, if you can get it through your library, Canopy has it. 
Um, it should be on Filmstruck, the, the which has the Criterion Collection, and for rental on any other platforms like Amazon, iTunes, that sort of thing. Um, do you want to tell us what you've chosen for next time in case folks want to play along? Uh, yes. So I have chosen, and this is a movie that, uh, well, we won't get into too much, but this is a movie that was very, I watched it all the time when I was probably around 15, I would guess. And what is it? It's called Benny and June. Um, and it's, you know, I don't, it's not an independent film, I don't think, but um, it's one that I used to watch with my mom all the time, so it has All right, and I, I know of it. Yeah. I think I've seen clips of it, but no, I swear I've never seen this okay. movie. I don't know why I've never seen this movie. But I want you to know, I have a slight Johnny Depp problem. Well, so we will we're, we're going to know that going into it. We will it. discuss the okay. Johnny Depp problem. All right. So. <laughs> um, thanks for listening to us again. This is Shut Up and Watch This. Um, if you want to send us any feedback, you can reach us at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. Um, tell your friends about our show. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next time. See you Bye. next time. Bye.